Well, hi there. Jason here, your host on the Umpire Inspired Podcast, a show where we learn from and celebrate extraordinary and ordinary umpires from all around the world who inspire us. Hey, before you enjoy this episode from season one, I wanted to let you know that we've recently wrapped season two of the show, and we were fortunate to hear from some terrific guests from minor league baseball umpires Ben Engstrand, Nathan Diedrich, and Jen Powell, to amateur umpires from California all the way to the Czech Republic, as well as a very special visit with one of my personal umpire heroes, Major League Baseball umpire Ted Barrett. I hope you will enjoy spending a little time with these outstanding umpires. And if you do, please share it with your umpire friends that you think might enjoy listening. And take a moment to leave a brief and honest review over on Apple Podcasts so other umpires can find the show as well. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. The Umpire Inspire podcast is all about the stories, all about the journeys, and all about the heart of being an umpire. I'm your host, Jason Becker. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the show. This is a very special episode for me. And to explain why, I'm going to tell you about a picture I have printed out here at home. My corkboard on the wall here at Umpire Inspire World Headquarters, aka my home office, it probably looks a lot like yours. You put up tickets from games or shows, uh, notes for ideas that you have, pictures from fun memories with your family, and also you put up things to encourage and inspire you, right? Things that you want to be reminded of every day. So I have this picture printed out on my corkboard. It's a game photo from a Major League Baseball game. In this photo, an umpire is making a call at the plate. Wilson Contreras of the Chicago Cubs is making a play on Corey Seager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who is sliding headfirst into home. And he doesn't have his helmet on. That probably got blown off somewhere between second and third base. But it's a close play at the plate. The umpire is in perfect position to make the call. And that's the picture. Okay, so I want to give my wife actually some credit here. My dear wife, uh, God bless her, wife of an umpire nerd, also a daughter of an umpire nerd. So she just really, there's no escape for her. I put this picture up a few years ago and I called her in and I said, Maureen, what's, uh, what do you notice about this picture? What can you tell me? She stood in front of it and looked for a little bit. And she said, well, the umpire is not holding a mask. I said, that's right, you're getting warm. She said, actually, the umpire isn't wearing any gear at all. I said, that's right, you're getting warmer. I said, what do you think happened here? And she thought about it for a minute. And as I said, being the wife of an umpire nerd and the daughter of an umpire nerd, she's got some, she's got some mechanics cred, okay? She thought about it and she said, there was a play in the outfield that another umpire had to go call. And so a different umpire had to cover home plate. (laughs) I said, close enough. That's right. We've got a rotation play. And the umpire in that photo I've just described is, of course, today's guest on the show, Trip Gibson. I first met Tripp three years ago, and you're going to hear in this episode why that meeting was so encouraging for me, why it was so inspirational, 
and how that game photo of him ended up on my corkboard. But before that, you're going to hear all about Tripp's journey. He shares stories from every step along the way, from calling youth games, to high school, to umpire school, to the minor leagues, and then becoming a major league umpire. Lots and lots of discussion also about the people who helped him along the way. No surprise, that's just the kind of guy the trip is. And so much more great stuff. So many interesting stories. I really just can't begin to list it all right now. So, hey, just settle in for this one. Enjoy it. You are not going to want to miss even one minute. And if you enjoy listening to Trip and you have umpire friends in your life, don't keep it to yourself. Take just a moment to share this episode with them so that they also can be encouraged and inspired. Please enjoy my visit with number 73, Trip Gibson. Trip, welcome to the Umpire Inspired Podcast. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for having me here. Oh, this is awesome. Hey, you know, it is a beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest where we both live. And don't you wish we were gearing up to go work a game tonight or something? It would be pretty awesome to be on a baseball field, no doubt. I kind of wanted to start there. It's just, I'm just wondering, what are you missing most right now? Is there anything you can think of that is just like jumping out to you? You know, there's a few places that are very special, especially in the major leagues. Um, You know, a lot of people have been to some of those stadiums, Fenway Park, you know, Wrigley Field, Dodger Stadium. Um, There's something special when you walk out on the field in the major leagues. And you just get that that vibe from the atmosphere of all the fans that are in attendance. Hasn't gotten old yet, huh? No, it hasn't yet. Uh, <laughs> my my six and a half years in, no, it has not gotten old. But just going out and calling a baseball game and then being reminded kind of like how that baseball game is the same baseball game that really is being played at all levels, even the youth levels. And it really just reminds me of how I kind of started, you know. And so when you can take that opportunity to kind of get a little flashback, even though you may be walking onto a major league uh, field at a stadium, it's uh, it's it's pretty it's a pretty awesome moment. So uh, hey, let's talk a little baseball. Um, major league umpire, six and a half years. It is so cool to have you on the show trip, and I've got a ton of questions for you. And uh, let's just start sort of at the start. You know, take me back to uh, maybe your late teen years. I know that in our previous conversations, you've described how you started moving away from being a baseball player, and then at a certain point, in a certain very particular way, got introduced to being a baseball umpire? I would think for almost every single major league umpire uh, and a lot of even higher level umpires, the story can be very similar. Uh, but for me, you know, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, 10,000 people. And uh, all I ever wanted to be was a major league baseball player when I was a kid. And I wasn't the fastest, or I'm sorry, I wasn't the tallest kid on the team. I was maybe the fastest kid on the team. Uh, I wasn't the strongest, um, but I, I definitely had probably as much heart or, or more heart and, and effort than anyone else out there. I, I played as hard as I possibly could. And so, you know, growing up, playing at a pretty high level of travel ball and then uh, getting into high school, I um, played for my father for a lot of that. And he was one of my coaches in high school. He was my father. And then he was also my employer. Um, at an early age, working oh. for him and his business. Okay. So a uh, 40-year business owner, uh, I was around my dad a lot. And, uh, you know, when, when college playing college baseball really wasn't in the cards for me, I, I wanted to go to a larger university. I had a couple offers to some junior college and AI schools, and I just I, I couldn't stand the thought of my future looking like, okay, let's go play ball for a little while, 
I'm going to realize that maybe baseball isn't something that I'm going to be able to do my whole life as a ball player. And uh, I chose to go to Murray State. So I kind of just put baseball to the side. Okay. And that's that summer I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, dad, you've been my coach in high school for four years. You were my coach growing up. I have to drive home with you when I have a bad game and you're already <laughs> mad at me, right? Um, I worked for you, so I'm with you nonstop. I, I needed something to kind of be my own. And he's like, all right, son, you got college coming up. You got tuition. You got books. You got car insurance, gas money. So I was like, dad, I got to get a different job. And he goes, hey, I heard the local rec lit field, uh, a guy named Pat Powers, uh, who's now passed. Um, he's like, I, I heard he's hiring umpires. I'm like, I can't. I can't do that, Dad. There's no way. Umpire, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I go down to the local rec field, talk to Pat. He says, hey, here you go. Here's a game to work tomorrow. You got the plate. I bought my first uh, set of gear from uh, one of my other coaches in the high school uh, team, assistant coaches, for 50 bucks. Nice. Went and worked my first game. Uh, I had my hat on backwards. Um, <laughs> and I bought gray pants from a store called Peebles, which is like a Kohl's. <laughs> Um, wore a baseball belt, some turf shoes, went to work and, uh, first game behind the plate, just throwing back there. And so what happens to me? I end up having an ejection in the fourth inning of my very first game ever worked. Trap. When the game ends, I walk up to Pat and Pat hands me a check for $25. And he said, well, thanks for giving it a shot. <laughs> uh, and I go, are you kidding me? That was fantastic. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. Don't get too deep in the weeds on this, but what happened with the coach? <laughs> I, you know what? It was just a simple ball strike thing, and okay. Okay. it's just time to go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so did you come back the next day? Did Pat did. let you back on the field? Yeah, Pat let me back on the field, and <laughs> uh, I had to work the bases that time. And okay. I, I didn't know any better, and, of course, I had a, a base bag on and my, and my base brush, so I'm out there cleaning first, second, third base <laughs> my brush. Uh, and it all went in my little handy bag. <laughs> there was a guy named Daniel Florinor that I played high school ball with. And uh -huh. the second day I go in, I, I found out that he's actually umpiring too. So we kind of became like partners in crime and okay. worked almost every single game together that whole summer. Um, which made it unique for me because I had somebody that I could rely on every single day and I wasn't a new partner every day, Yeah, nice. but we could, we could study the rules together. We could wash our laundry on some travel tournament together, you know, at, <laughs> at midnight, washing our clothes. I can remember sitting on top of a folding table, reading the rule book uh, at 19 years old, trying to figure all this out. I'm like, what's going on here? Did you take to it pretty naturally? You haven't been a ball player all your life? You know, I, I did. Um, but I tell you the thing that I learned more than anything about be starting to become an umpire. I had played baseball since I was six years old. And I realized at that point, I didn't really know the rules that well. Um, and when I meet a lot of people who make that transition, especially teaching at umpire school, uh, Harry Wendelstadt's for 10 years, um, a lot of kids come in that were former ball players, high school and college. Uh, a lot of times we'll get former minor leaguers. And it's just interesting to me how like you play ball that long and you don't really know the rules and how intricate they really are. So it's a common refrain on this very show. Yep. Wait a minute, I'm a I'm a ball player. I should know how to do this. Oh, hold on now. This is a di there's a different thing going on out here, and and you and I and all the rest of the listeners know that there is indeed it's a different team playing the game. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's actually three teams out there. You know, there's there the teams that are playing each other, the two, the home and the away team, and then there's a team out there of umpires. And you know, that's something I think we're going to touch base on later in the 
in the show. But yeah, that's that's important to note that there are three teams. So at what point do you start thinking to yourself, hey, this might be a thing. This could uh, this could work out for me. Uh, maybe there's school in my future. You know, it wasn't overnight. It really wasn't. I um, the summer of my night when I was 19, uh, in the summer when I was 20, I was like, I love this. I'm doing tons of travel tournaments. I, I actually have like a ledger, and I, I averaged well over 100 games a summer as mm-hmm. an umpiring mm-hmm. and uh, making money. And a lot of times that would supplement my income for most of the year. Um, you know, you'd end up working odd end jobs and stuff in college and whatnot. And it wasn't until my sophomore year that I realized, man, I think I want to be a major league umpire. And it, it was all through uh, my fraternity at Murray State, which was Pi Kappa Alpha. And uh, through an alumni, I actually ended up meeting Larry Vanover. Okay. And uh, spoke with Larry Vanover for a little while. He he lives and uh, grew up in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is only about two hours away from from my hometown. And um, he had Harry Wendelstad send me uh, my application uh-huh. in the mail, by the way, which was a handwritten application. You couldn't uh, log in and uh, sign up online. Oh yeah, legit. Uh, and then there was a note. Yeah, and there's a note from Harry. <laughs> I still have the note. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, um, talked to my dad about it, and he goes, son, you got to graduate first. And that went there was the best decision I ever made was going through school, finishing all that, um, which played a key role later on as far as my ability to focus on the job at hand to try to make it to the major leagues. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so sophomore year, I realized, hey, I think I want to do this. Um, Got into high school ball, got into college ball. I went to every single umpire clinic I could get my hands on, and I think – you know, early on when you're first beginning, you're kind of an umpire nerd, so to speak. Like you're just studying as much as you can and you're yeah. talking to people, getting all their stories so you can get better yourself. So, yeah, sophomore year and then I graduated in the in the fall, December of 2005. Bought a new car and went straight to Daytona Beach, Florida to umpire school in 2006, January. Which was successful for you. Did you go through just one time before landing a job? I did. Okay. I went the one time. Mm-hmm. I had decided halfway through that, okay, I'd give this a second schooling if I need to. I'd go back. Okay. So you get yourself out of school very successfully, and you're off and running. Tell me about those first few years in the minors. Um, what was the experience like for you? And what were the factors that caused you to be noticed, do you think, and uh, moved on up as you went? You know, it's, it's interesting because 2006 was a very uh, unique year for minor league baseball. There was a, there was an umpire strike. Right. And so before I even became a minor league umpire, um, they told us, Hey, we're probably going to hire you into short season baseball or rookie league, uh, which won't begin until June. Uh, but right now we're not hiring anybody because all the other umpires are on strike. So the 50 of us that had gone to an advanced placement course where at that time, Jim Evans school, uh, sent 25 guys and Harry Wendelstead school sent 25 and we were just in, in this pile you know, they're, they're going to hire us. Well, it wasn't until like the first of June, we get a phone call on the strike ends because they go through the minor league all-star break, uh, still on strike. So they went half a season and oh, man. Finally, get, finally get called. And, uh, I went to the New York Penn league. So I'm living in Kentucky and, um, uh, I actually moved back in with my parents for a little bit. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to the New York Penn league. And I'm like, wow, I've never been to either one of those States. And <laughs> not only is it the New York Penn league, but it's also Vermont and new and, um, um, Maryland and so Pennsylvania and I'm like wow so I'm going to go to New York City that first year was interesting and not only that but the first week um, 
I had three ejections in my first six games as a professional baseball umpire. So as uh, anyone would um, second-guess their career choice, I definitely was. I'm sensing a pattern uh, here, pal. Well, here's, the, here's what it is, <laughs> and this probably best explains it. There is a melting pot of personalities in the lower levels of the minor leagues. You've got umpires right out of umpire school, and in umpire school, they teach you to be tough and aggressive, right? Because okay, yeah. you're going to have to survive a lot of these really crazy moments, the travel, the lifestyle. You've got ball players that just got drafted, okay? So they're very confident. Uh, came from some really big schools. They're 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 excited to be there. And you've got managers who are, a lot of times are first year managers, and they're just right out of the big leagues from playing. So you have all these guys that basically don't know what they're doing. And I mean, yeah, we went with the umpire school, but I I didn't have all the experience. They've been playing baseball their whole life, but they never played in the minor leagues. The managers played their whole life in baseball, but they never managed in the minor leagues. And so you have all this inexperience that creates this turmoil that honestly is like a recipe for. A wonderful thing because the minor leagues truly are a pretty amazing thing to go to and see. So, you know, the first few years, you're basically just finding your place. And that's really what it is. Those first few years are really tough because you're traveling alone. I mean, yeah, you got your partner, you got some guy that you don't really know. You get to know him well. Um, you're in your car, you're in hotel rooms. Your first few years, you're staying in the same hotel room as your, 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 your crew partner. Yeah. And, uh, so whether you like each other or not, you just learn to survive and, cohabitate essentially yeah. so you're out there working games away from your families and luckily you know i just had my parents i didn't i wasn't um married at the time and uh yeah you just survive and then all the while like i talked about being on top of the folding table you're reading your rule book and you're studying yeah and and the best thing about all of it is is you're out there messing things up and that's something that, that i know this this show's about is like learning from your failures and it it's really okay to fail like that's really the only way to learn is to fail and fail again. So those first years in the minor league, that's kind of what you're doing. You're making a lot of mistakes. Were you, were you pleased with your performance those first few years? Were you feeling happy about how you were doing on the field or were there some struggles or? You know, um, when you look back on it, um, I really, I wish that I would have kind of um, not been so serious all the time. Okay. But then I tell myself, man, if I had not been that serious and, and that focused, what I have made it. And I think the reward of how you're doing comes in the evaluations you get, you know, and, and, it, and those things aren't perfect because those guys are only seeing you a few games here and there. Um, or if you get rewarded by, you know, working the playoff series or a championship series or something like that. And so that's really where the reward comes in. But the most learning happens in the minor leagues really truly at the spring training uh, situation where okay. you'll have, you'll have like, um, you know, let's say you're in Arizona and you're working the Diamondbacks spring training, the minor league. Well, you'll be with a crew of guys, and there'll be a guy in AAA, a guy in AA, a couple of guys in single A, different levels, and you'll all be working together. And so you get a chance to work with guys that have a lot more experience than you, pick their brain, see what they're doing. You know, you see, like, their mechanics and the way they move in the field, the way they talk to people, the way they handle people, the way they handle you. And that's really where you learn. And then – at the end of the season, a lot of times they'll have like an instructional league that you go to. In Florida, I went to one. I went to a few in Arizona. And so you're working from guys from all different leagues. Leagues. So I might even work with a guy from like, you know, the Northwest League or, or a guy that worked in the Texas League in AA. And so you're getting to learn from them as well. So I think that's where most of the learning really comes in uh, is those more laid back settings like spring training, like instructional league, where you get the chance to fail and it doesn't really matter if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, for sure. I think I can relate, you know, on a, on a little league level, which is where I'm at most of my time. Um, mostly we're working solo or we're working two man if we're lucky. Right. And you can learn by working those games. You can learn by sitting on top of your washing machine with a rule book. But what, where it really happens is those postseason games where you start bringing in guys and gals from other districts, other areas. Uh, we have the opportunity then to work a lot more three-man, four-man, even six-man for championship games. And you spend a week at a tournament, um, and the confidence and the learning just skyrockets. You look back on a week like that, just one week as a Little League umpire, uh, in my experience. And that's what really propels you along. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100% because um, seeing somebody do something different than what you do is great because then all of a sudden you try to do those things and you find out if it works for you or if it doesn't. And that's what I loved about working with a lot of different people and still do um, because I get to see all these different personalities and how I can kind of shape what they're doing and kind of make it my own, uh, so to speak, you know. And that's what makes it great, especially, you know, in – well, on every level, actually. I mean, I, there's so many guys before this call I made a list of guys that I worked with, you know, in um, <laughs> those first couple of years, 19, 20 you know, years old, 21 years old. And they really shaped a lot of like who I was as an official before I ever went to umpire school. And, you know, I, I'm looking at some of these names, you know, one guy is a pastor now. And yeah. uh, you know, one guy, one guy just retired from being an athletic director at a, at a, at a school. And it's just like, man, I, I really, truly, I, some of that stuff is gold. And you can't replace those moments in your life because they're all teaching you something. Whether you take it or you leave it, you're learning from both. That's right. It's a tapestry. And we take the best of what we learn from our partners and other people that come into our lives. And um, sometimes I describe what we're doing. We're just all links in an exceptionally long chain for the people that we run into, you know, and, and you're going to contribute a little bit to those people and you're going to take a little bit from them too. That's a great transition. So just tell me about a couple of those guys trip. You know, we talk a lot on this show about the mentors that are so key in what we do as umpires. And that's what makes, well, it's one of the many things that makes umpiring very special is how important that mentor, that teacher relationship is uh, to, to bring guys up and to, to share what we've learned along the way. Uh, tell me about some of those guys that were with you and for you. Yeah, that's a, that's a really awesome question because uh, it, for me it's so important to make sure that these people get the gratitude that they deserve from me, the appreciation. You know, the, the chance that somebody sat down to talk to me or they pulled me aside and told me something that they think I should do or change or something that I was doing good. Because a lot of times when you're doing things right – no one comes and pats you on the back and say, you know what, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Um, man, Jason, first and foremost, my father. I mean, I, he, the guy would never let me quit anything. I can remember one quit like karate, and he was like, nope, Gibsons don't quit. <laughs> and, 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 and at the time, I was a little frustrated with those, those remarks, you know. But when the, when the going got tough, especially in the minor leagues, right, the going gets tough and you're like doubting yourself a little bit, you kind of go back to the lessons you learned, you know, early on in life, like, you don't just quit because you had a bad day. You keep going, right? And as an umpire, especially early on, you know, when, you, when you've got like a, a heated 12-year-old tournament and, and the parents are really excited and the players are really excited and, and you miss a call really bad that you can't change, you can't just walk off the field. <laughs> I mean, you kind of just got to cope with it and, and keep going, right? That's right. And, 
and that just reminds me like you know my dad really just instilled that into me like we don't we don't quit you know and and so when I walked away from baseball and I stopped playing I, I didn't quit but what I had in my head was is like this is something that I want and I got to fight and uh you know I, I told you I wasn't a big guy and so for me, I didn't have a chip on my shoulder as a, in a as a personality wise, but I just really had that fight and that desire to to continue on no matter what happened to me. So my dad, first and foremost, good uh, for you, man, and how lucky you are. I can hear it in your voice that you know how lucky you are, right, to have that kind of relationship and that kind of that kind of support for you along the way. You didn't always love hearing that from him, did you? No, but he is my hero. Yeah, yeah, you you know my my dad and then my grandfather. Um, I'm named after both of them because my legal name is actually Hal. Um, Hal Gibson III. And so my grandfather, that work ethic that he did, I mean, he died at 89 and the guy didn't stop working until he was like 86 when he got really bad sick. And um, he, he had such a work ethic that it was like, you know what? Like this guy is teaching me that if you work hard and then I got one guy teaching me that if I don't ever quit anything, you know, good things are going to happen. And so those are in the back of your mind from day one. Um, and that's important to me. But Guys that just really did a lot. I mentioned Pat Powers. Um, mm-hmm. Pat Powers did a lot for our community, a lot for you know baseball, youth baseball in the area, um, and then a lot for me as an umpire. And I guarantee you, when he handed me that first check after my first game and ejecting the, the head coach, <laughs> I don't think he ever would have thought that I would make it to the major leagues as an umpire. <laughs> no, um, he was just hoping that I would come back the next day, right? So. Um, <laughs> But Pat Powers, he drugged me everywhere. I mean, he'd go, hey, well, I'm, I'm running a tournament in Louisville. I'm running a tournament tournament in uh, Lexington. Hey, we're running a tournament in Nashville. I need you to go umpire. I want you to go umpire with me. You know, and So he kind of drugged me along, knowing what my desire level was, to not only make a little money, but to get better. And I just love doing it. You know, And when normal 20-year-olds are out partying or doing whatever they're doing on the weekends, I'm working 14 games. <laughs> so, Man. Uh, that, that, that's kind of what was important is that Pat was there. And then a guy named Jeff Cruz who really just, that, that guy told me, taught me to handle parents and handle kids because they're out there trying to do what you were trying to do when you were 12 years old too. And that was important for me. Of course, now Jeff's a pastor and I'm not shocked at all because he was helping people as an umpire and, and teaching people how to behave and how to, play the sport with sportsmanship and now he's helping people in a different calling. So guys like that really mean, a, mean a lot. Uh, Joe Lewis, um, who's an athletic director, football coach, a long time. Um, I worked so many games, American Legion games with that guy. And, you know, Joe was all, Joe always had my back and he was a former minor league umpire, made it to double a, and then had to choose to, to, you know, come home to his family. And he kind of really, laid it out for me what it would be like going to umpire school what to expect uh but basically kind of you know be be quiet don't be heard uh try not to be seen uh but learn from everything and uh those are guys that really just paved the way for me it's all about those guys paving the way no doubt there's like 10 more guys on my list too and i'm just like i I want to move into uh, a few questions trip on your major league career so far and uh, where you've been, where you're going, kind of what it all means to you. Um, but tell me about your call-up. <laughs> what, uh, where, where, where were you at? And uh, just walk us through what you were thinking and what you were feeling and what, what that was like for you when you got that phone call. Yeah. So I'm actually sitting in Round Rock, Texas. 
Okay. And uh, that is the Round Rock Express AAA Pacific Coast League. So it's the same league as uh, the Tacoma Rainiers. And um, I'm sitting there in my hotel room, and it's like 10 in the morning. And uh, let's see, it was a Homewood Suites in Round Rock, Texas. Um, it wasn't the Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I get a phone call, and it's from one of our supervisors um, who I'd become you know, very close with over the years, uh, AAA supervisor, and, and he's also a major league supervisor. And uh, he starts kind of playing me a little bit. He's like, hey, we got some things we need to talk about. I'm seeing some things that I'm not real sure of. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm sitting there going, what did I do? Like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I, they told me to kind of tone it down a little bit and, and not be so aggressive you know, with – arguments or things and so I, I really was working on it right I'm, i was like i want to be a major league umpire i want my first game and the year before uh i'd actually got my my number so i was awarded number 73 uh-huh. after working my very first major league spring training and so all this is kind of in the back of my head like it's been a year and a half i haven't worked a major league game yet i've got my number i'm on like i'm on the call-up list and the supervisor calls me and then and then another guy clicks in another supervisor and uh i'm like he's like yeah we're seeing some things that we're just not real sure of. And I'm like, oh, man. And they kind of keep me going for a minute. And then all of a sudden, they're like, <laughs> you're going to work your first major league game on July the 8th in Arizona. The Los Angeles Dodgers will be playing the Diamondbacks. Congratulations. And I just fell apart. <laughs> I just fell, fell apart. And, uh, yeah, so the, I get off the phone. And, of course, the first thing I do is, like, you know, I call my wife. And we're in tears. And I call my dad. And I call my mom. And I'm calling everybody that I can. Yeah. But I can't call that many people because it's still confidential, right? Because it's okay, you know, okay. Major League Baseball. We can't get the schedules out there. Then I'm like, don't post anything on social media. Keep it all hush-hush. <laughs> um, so then I call my crewmates. And at that time, I'm working with a guy named Brian Herzog, who's from the area. Okay. And I'm, and I'm also working with Adam Schwartz, who's also another one of my best friends. And Adam's from Riverside, California. I'm the crew chief. I take him to lunch, and I'm trying to keep it quiet, right? I'm trying to not, not spill the beans, and I can't. We're in the car right on the way to lunch, and I just, I'm like, guys, and they're like, no way. So, so yeah, so July the 8th, worked my first game. Worked with Tim McClellan was the crew chief, uh, Marty Foster, and Marvin Hudson, and uh, worked second base mm-hmm. uh, my very first game. That's a great story, man. I got a big smile on my face just imagining it. <laughs> I'm smiling too, if you can't tell. I can. It's a moment you guys will never forget. Your your wife wife will never forget. Your dad will never forget. All the people that you finally got to tell when you could, right? How fun to just, you know, to reach that point. And and we're all standing on the shoulders, everybody that got us there. You've got some years behind you to really understand why you got the call. What do you think were, uh, what separated you from the other umpires that were knocking on the door at that time? Why you? You know, you know, it goes back to a little bit of that work ethic okay. um, and just never, ne- you know what, when, when it's in August and you've been working all season, you've already worked a hundred and, you know, 30 games and it, you've got a plate job that goes 13 innings and mm-hmm. it's just, you're sweating your booty off in Memphis, Tennessee. And you're sitting there going like, man, I don't think I want to be any other, any other place than here right now, yeah, you know? You. And you just remind yourself like, there is a there's a prize in front of you, and you've got to keep chasing. You can't you can't take a single pitch off, and that goes for any level of where you're working. Like you owe it to yourself, you owe it to the teams, you owe it to the people that came to the game, and not only that, you owe it to your family that aren't there with you because they're letting you to go work this job. So you owe it to everybody to not take a single pitch off, and I think that's what 
that mentality is what really kind of pushed me through. But not only that, but um, the ability that I gained to take criticism and to make adjustments when adjustments needed to be made. Okay. Uh, do what needed to happen to get to where I wanted to be. It's like you got any job, right? Take any job. And you have a boss or somebody, you co-worker that tells you, hey, you need to make some changes here or there. You got to make those changes because you want to keep that job. And not only that, but maybe remove up in the ranks. And so, yeah, I was a, my ability to make changes. Um, but thirdly, um, and I've been told this a few times, and it, 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 it's something that I hope that I can continue to cultivate. But people always, they, people like working with me. And so if you're a good group mate, um, no matter what level it is, and people like to work with you, then, then you're putting yourself in a good position to succeed, in my opinion. Yeah, I, don't, I agree. I don't think that's to be understated because, uh, cool, you know every rule in the book. But if it's no fun, man, uh, tough, to, tough to work one game, much less be on a crew of four guys for an entire season. Jason, you just nailed it, too, with the word fun. Like, that's something that people forget. <laughs> um, I see it. You see it at a lot of levels. You see it in high school kids trying to make it to the, a big college or the – or you see it in college kids trying to make it to the major leagues, or you see it in a major league kid, or you see it in a 10-year-old who's got too much pressure for some reason. Right. They've lost that fun. And so when you're umpiring a game and you're getting yelled at and the parents are mad at you and you're just trying to do your job the best you can, if you're not having any fun, you're not going to be any good and you're not going to enjoy the job. So that first game you just mentioned was in 2013. And I understand, Trip, that you spent the entire 2014 season as a call-up. I did. That's unusual, right? Well, actually, No. It, it is and not. It is and it isn't. So when you are kind of knocking on the door to become a major league umpire, um, there, there's X amount of number games that that kind of needs to be worked, and you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, and there's things that they're just looking for as an employee, yeah. right? Um, most of the time, the guys that end up getting hired the following year work the most games. So in '14, I worked um, 149 games, which is more games than anyone in Major League Baseball that season. And that, when you look at the numbers in the years past and the years prior, most of the time the guys that worked the most games are the guys, the AAA guys, are the guys that end up getting hired. Okay. And so in 14, I worked 149 games, more than any major league umpire on staff or, or in, in AAA that's working in the major leagues. And uh, yeah, actually, you know, following up uh, your most recent podcast or one of your most recents was uh, my crew chief for half that season was was Dell Scott. That's right. And um, well. What a tough guy to follow up on a podcast. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that guy's got more stories and is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Thanks a lot for that, Jason. <laughs> no apologies. No apologies at all. Tough luck, kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, if you don't mind me just kind of going off of this, like uh, I got a, I got a great Dell Scott story. Oh, at I'm least all about me, it. All about it. Let's go. So um, it's opening series, and it's uh, Chicago White Sox, and it's about 25 degrees outside. Okay. And day, day one, opening day. He works the plate. I'm a third, and I'm working with Dan Iasonia and C.B. Buckner, two awesome crewmates as well as Dale. You betcha. And uh, I'm just a young AAA guy, and I'm, I'm basically scared to death. It's my first opening day. So I'm on the field. Dale works the plate game one. We have the next day off, which, which is typical in a, in a northern city where weather might rain a game out or snow a game out. So the right. next day off, and then the third day I'm going to second. And then the third game I'm working first base. And um, – there's a rundown between first and second, and I won't bore you with the logistics, but the play is going to second, and I'm the first base umpire, and Dale has to move out of the way of the fielder to see the tag. Okay. Well, when he moves out of the way, he doesn't see the obstruction by the shortstop. 
who the, the second baseman's trying to tag him. Or maybe I had that messed up. Maybe it was the second baseman that was in the way, and the shortstop was trying to tag the runner. And Dale calls him out, but as soon as Dale calls him out, I go and step on a crew chief, a veteran of 30 years plus, oh and Trip. call obstruction over the top of him. Trip. And I award the guy second. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Is this the, did, I make the, did I make a mistake? And after a brief discussion with the manager, Dell comes over to me and he goes, man, you got guts of steel. That was amazing. Ah. Let's, talk about, let's talk about this between innings. And that reinforcement I got from him being like, okay, I, I took a risk. I could have not, not called anything because he's the crew chief and he just decided it was an obstruction. Maybe he just dis- disagreed. And he told me later on, he goes, I never saw it. And he told me after the game, he's like, you know what? I know that you're going to be a great crewmate, and I know you're going to be a major league umpire one day because you, you have what it took to make that one call. And we, we, we took off with a bang. The rest of the, you know, the rest half the season that I got to work with Dell was fantastic. A, a brief moment of uh, fearlessness. Well, probably a little bit of fear mixed in there too, right, Trip? In the moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can, I can feel the excitement in my heart right now as we talk about it because I have these mixed emotions. But look, I, I, I think I know where you're going with this because a guy like Dale saw um, that you had it in you in that moment. And if you're gonna if you're gonna fail, you were gonna fail big in that moment, but you made the bold, decisive decision and yeah. uh, worked out for you. That's very cool. Well, he told me, he goes, I know that if you take care of you're taking care of me, because that's basically what the way he saw it. It's like you were right. taking care of me. You're taking care of me, you're gonna take care of the crew. So that's important. What uh, what's pregame like in that locker room specifically? Trip, I'm wondering about not so much the nuts and bolts of what actually has to be done, but what, what's your what's your thought process before a game? What are your areas of focus, and what are you thinking to get yourself ready, even up to the moment that you're actually walking onto the field? I think you're going to be shocked by my answer. Um, <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to not think about the game. I'm getting ready to go work. Okay. Um, and in saying that, when you work a season like we do in the major leagues and you're there every single day, you've already prepped yourself with rules of discussion, which the rules of discussions do happen pregame. They happen postgame. Uh, discussion of plays and things that happened. Um, the breakdown of what happened after the game. A lot of times those are, those things that happen. More often than not, they'll happen after you leave the ballpark. But it's interesting you ask that question because when I teach at camps or clinics or, or talk to umpires, the thing that I always preach is pregame. I preach it because what happens is, is people go out there, they don't have a game plan, sure, and they don't, they they haven't discussed a lot of the intricacies of who's got fair or foul responsibilities and those types of things, right? So I think it's so important to have that pregame when you don't work with the same guys every single day, like I do. Like I know, I know what, you know, I know what uh, Del Scott's going to do on in this situation, or I know what. Dan I, Sonia would have done in this situation. So, because we've already seen it, we've talked about it, right? Because yeah. when you start a season, you go out to dinner and you kind of break everything down before opening day. And so every day when I go to work, um, I do everything I can. I get stretched out. A lot of times you'll be playing cards, you may have a cup of coffee. Um, you might discuss briefly something, you know, because you'll have personnel come in from the club to give you some information on this or that, start time and the weather and whatnot. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces there. So, I do my best to just not think about the game and get ready to work. So I'm kind of fresh. I don't have any anxiety towards what's going to happen, um, as opposed to I keep saying it, just react. 
but but Jason, it's so key for for young umpires and umpires that don't get an opportunity to work with the same guys all the time, but to sit down in the locker room and hash everything out. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, we're we are all clear on that, right, dear listeners? That Trip is speaking as a major league baseball umpire and not as an amateur umpire like most of us are that have to pregame. So let's just uh, make that clear. Uh, yeah. Uh, I got a couple more questions about the big league umpire experience trip, and uh, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get you with this one, trip. Tell me about one of the best calls you ever saw your partner make. Oh man, I I can't remember an exact best call per se because there's so many of them. Yeah, but I've seen years that I was just like. Wow, that's that's just one of the best umpiring performances I've ever seen. Okay, and a lot of those guys are guys that I, of course they're worked with. I've worked with, you know, so I've seen them firsthand. Um, but there's a reason why Brian Gorman's in the major leagues this long. I mean, the guy just doesn't really miss many calls, and his ability to see things even with replay within half an inch. Um, but even more than that, it's guys that can trust their gut. Uh, you know, Br- Brian Gorman's one of the best. Uh, when Dan Iasonia got the 17 World Series, I knew before he was even assigned it that he was going to get it just based on what I saw him do day in and day out. Yeah, it was just incredible. I was like, this is this is a performance that I can't even explain because um, I worked with him that year, you know. And Adrian Johnson uh, had a great year a couple of years ago when I worked with him, and I was just like, man. And when you ask those guys, man, what are you doing different? And they all say the same thing. I go out there and I'm not worried about what's going to happen. I just react. <laughs> and so that's just what I'm trying to do is trying to emulate those types of performances. So when you ask best call, like nothing just really rings a bell right, right to the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but it's best, best performances is what's kind of you know stuck with me. Yeah. It, it compounds over time and you, and you come to understand who a guy is on the field. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Like just the, just the, the work done day after day after day. Their, their mental pro- approach, the mental approach uh-huh. to the job is what, is key. And, and, you know, I talked about pre-gaming. I'm just going to interject real fast, sorry. But, like, that all begins, like, especially when you're working youth level, or any level, I guess, for that matter. That all begins the moment you pull up into the stadium, right? They see you in your car. They see the way you're dressed. the way you've Maybe even the way you've conducted yourself through an email to the athletic director or the sports information director. You know, those are things that – that's like the beginning of handling a situation right there. So you mentioned uh... – you know, speaking of the body of work that you see from a guy, either working on a crew or watching from afar, I'm just wondering what that means for you, Trip, in the future. What some of your goals are? You know, you we talk about the the mentors and the guys who have been there, done that, and put in years of experience. What what is it about the the Dale Scotts of the world, the Jerry Davises of the world, the Brian Gormans of the world that keeps them successful year after year after year. And what are some of the things, I guess what I'm asking is, what are some of the things that those guys have that you are striving for as a newer umpire in the bigs? It all goes into the mental approach day in and day out. Um, When I was around Dale or when I worked with Jerry Davis or when I worked with Brian Gorman, they were so consistent in their personality and Mm. their emotions. They were able to control themselves never get too high and never get too low, but always in a pretty good mood, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. There's days, there's days where you're like, I haven't been home in six weeks. I'd love to be home and see my family. 
but their ability to kind of control their mental approach and the way they didn't let emotions take over. They didn't have knee jerk reactions. They don't have knee jerk reactions. You know, that's what I'm hoping to get a hold of. And to be honest with you, the thing I think I've learned about all of that is that it just comes with time. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to wrap up here, Trip. This is the Umpire Inspire podcast, right? As you know, I have a strong sense, Trip, that you are cut from that same cloth in the sense that, yeah, it's your job. You're a professional. You're getting paid for what you do. And there are expectations to go along with that. And rightly so. But I have a feeling that there's something more to being an umpire and serving on the field. Um, I just wondered if you could speak to that for a little bit. Is there a deeper satisfaction for you during a game or over the course of the season beyond just excelling at your job and beyond being a good employee? Well, the first thing I do when I'm on the field, like, you know, the, talking to players or talking to personnel, coaches and stuff, that those things come and go. And as officials, it's tough for us to show the rest of the world, players, parents, coaches, that, that we're like normal human beings. And so the one thing that I really do is I try to get to know guys and when I was in AAA, I would know, I would find out, hey, what is Dell like? What does he like? Where does he like to go eat? Where does Jerry Davis like to go eat? What What are things they do in their downtime to have conversations with them, real conversations that have nothing to do with baseball? And so that's what I do with players. Um, I do with coaches. I did it. Um, and when I was working for Pat Powers, I learned that from Jeff Cruz. Let's get to know people. Let's yeah. talk to people, ask them questions that, that make them tick. And maybe you'll learn something from them or – Maybe they can learn something from us. But for me, it's like it's kind of carrying that torch that like, let's be good. Let's be a good person and let's try to get to know one another. We're we're not out there to hurt anyone. We're doing the same job, really. I mean, I'm out there to watching a baseball game just like I was when I was 17 years old. I'm just trying to get to know people. I'm trying to be a positive influence, uh, a positive light, so to speak, um, and just be the best person that I can be. And sometimes I have my bad days, too. That's right. It just happens. And one of the other ways, Trip, that you uh, do your best to be that positive light is through working with Ums Care. And uh, I know you've had some events of your own up here, and you've been involved over the course of the few years. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with Ums Care and what it means to you, and and why in the world you even take the time to participate in that group? Yeah, well, that's it's very dear to my heart and my family's heart. Um, you know, it's helping people is an easy call. Helping kids is an easy call, too. Um, but in 2006, they really had got Umscare kind of off the ground, and that was my first year in the minor leagues. And they was trying to get some involvement from the minor league umpires, that having little bowling events at minor league spring training and things like that to raise money. And I just remember when it first started, I was like, I want to be a part of that when I become a major league umpire one day. Um, but Umscare became something that I really wanted to be a part of because they were helping kids. And I just felt like that was something just very honorable and genuine. And, um, so when I became a major league umpire, it was a no brainer for me and my wife to be like, we want to be a part of this as much as we can. And, you know, bringing, um, underprivileged children onto the field before the game at batting practice or going into a children's hospital of somebody that may actually be terminally ill, um, and doing like a build a bear, uh, stuffed animal for them and just putting a smile on their face. Like that's, that pretty much just reminds you that like any pressure you have at your job, it means nothing because mm. these people are fighting for their lives. Mm. And 
when you get an opportunity to share with them the thing that many people may take for granted, being on a baseball field every single day, mm. like that's an amazing experience. And, and when we take those kids on the field, sometimes it's the first time they've ever even been to a baseball game. Wow. And I'm like, well, I got 130 more of these. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so, but it, it was an easy call. It was an easy decision to do. And, and this year would have been our, our fifth annual uh, all-star break golf scramble uh, in Marysville, Washington. And, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, we're more than likely that's not going to happen. And you know what? It, it, we're going to move on and we're going to pivot. And we're going to try to make a new, uh, go a new, different direction and, and make some changes. But I've embraced those care. My wife has embraced those care. We're teaching our children, our sons, that helping people is what it's all about. You know, so those conversations on the field, those conversations that I had on the folding table, uh, reading the rule book, <laughs> I was trying to, I, I, they were helping me. And if I can kind of pass that along and, and help others, then, then I, I think I'm doing an okay thing. That's for us and for our family, Ump's Care has really just become something that's a part of our heart. And we're going to continue to be a part of it as much as we can. That's well said, Tripp. So what about uh, other people who might like to get involved? Is there a way to learn more about how to participate in Ump's Care or how to contribute to what's going on with that? Yeah, uh, it's uh, umpscare.com. There's there's tons of information on there. Okay. Uh, and awesome videos and some uh, and some I guess some feel good stories of how umpscare has really uh, you know changed the lives of a lot of kids. Um, but yeah, anybody can get involved, and donate, and things. And and my golf tournament will go on one day again next year. <laughs> we'll we'll have the sixth annual. So we'll, we're going to make it work. We're going to figure all this out. Who's going to Who's going to come out ahead next year when you run your golf tournament again? You or Malinsky? <laughs> um, Malinsky knows the answer to that question. You can just ask him. Um, so I won. I won my uh, my first Umps Care golf tournament. Me and my father and and uh, my team. The and host won the tournament. The host won the tournament. Trip. Come on, man! What's, what's I going know. on here? So to 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 uncloud the waters there, <laughs> the murky waters. We we instituted a way to keep score through the golf course and the golf pro Shane Day there at Cedar Crest. Um, digital on your phone logging the score so everybody knew there was no cheating involved um but we've we've had some pretty good runs so yeah this this year to be the fifth annual and really the cool thing about that was is it, it all started in the beginning five years ago um some buddies getting together during my all-star break and one year malinsky was gone because he worked the all-star game or you know quinn wolcott from pre all up who uh you know is he he's there and he's a part of it just like just as much as i am uh-huh. and there's going to be a year he's going to miss it because he's going to be working the All-Star game. And then That's I'm right. going to miss it one year. But, hey, we're out there just helping people, playing some golf on the All-Star break, which is always fun. And uh, it's exciting. Make it a good time. Well, Tripp, this has been awesome, man. Hey, before I let you go, I just want to thank you. I uh, was fortunate enough to hear from you. Well, it's been – how long has it been now? Probably three years ago that you yeah, and Mike Malinsky did a presentation here in Snohomish County for area umpires, association umpires, little league umpires, uh, just a little talk at the public library. And uh, I was lucky to attend that night. And uh, I want to tell you right now that that was really inspirational for me that evening. I was already pretty invested in in pursuing this umpire thing on an amateur level. But uh, you and Mike charged me up to a new level that night. Um, hearing you guys talk about 
the seriousness with which to take our jobs. Not only as a paid professional umpire, but just as an amateur umpire, just gearing up to go do a ball game in your hometown for nine and 10 year olds. Like I remember you guys encouraging us to take it seriously. And uh, that really affected me a lot. One thing specifically, Trip, that I want to thank you for is that you talked a lot that night about the physical aspect of being an umpire, of keeping ourselves in shape, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that struck a chord with me. And so I spent the next year, year and a half, on a treadmill at the gym thinking about being an umpire deliberately. I was on that treadmill because I wanted to make sure I had a quicker first step off the line. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I looked good in my uniform. I wanted to make sure that I stayed healthy all year long. And, uh, that's why I was doing miles on the treadmill. And it was a result of, uh, being inspired by you and Mike that night at the, at the library. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who thought about that. So I, this is a cool opportunity for me to speak to you directly and thank you for that. And, uh, as far as paying it forward goes, that's a message that I, in my small way, try to pass along to my umpires that I train and teach too. So just want to say a big thank you. No, thank you for that. I, I, that means a lot. I, when you, when you speak to crowds and, and sometimes, and I talked about this earlier, but when you speak to somebody in person and you see the heads nod, you kind of know that you're reaching something, right? So the podcast is a little different, but when you say, give me those words, I, I appreciate that because I know that it, it was effective and that's, I, it's huge. I agree. Well, Tripp, this has been great, man. I can't thank you enough for your time. It was such a pleasure, and I know everybody's going to really love uh, listening to some of the stories you tell us at, on the show today. Um, man, best of luck. Whatever pivot you. you have to make this year to make this thing work, I know you're going to keep on doing this successfully. The same three things that turned heads when you were knocking on the door, right? Don't give up. Take criticism well and be a guy that uh, people want to work with. I know you're going to bring that with you in whatever the 2020 season looks like, and we'll be cheering for you hard. All right? Yeah. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much, man. I, I enjoyed it, and, yeah, let's, let's keep in touch. Let's do that. Thanks, pal. We'll talk soon. Jason, take care. Great, great stuff. I think you can see why Trip is one of my personal umpire heroes and I'm sure you can understand how this conversation was such a thrill and a privilege for me. I hope you're as inspired as I have been by Tripp's approach and his motivation and attitude. He's an easy guy to root for. And I don't know anyone who doesn't think we won't be watching him succeed on a big league field for a long, long time to come. Thank you so much for listening. I love bringing this show to you. And I will see you next week on the Umpire Inspired Podcast.